0: Hello, and welcome to episode four of the MTG Conflicts Cast. My name is Steven, and today I'm joined by John. Hey. And Zach. Hello. And today we're going to be going over the day two metagame at this past weekend's SCG Open, as well as top performers in the modern classic that accompanied it. We'll also be going over what you should do with that $20 card you open at pre release. So let's jump into our weekly roundup uh, where we talk about what we played this week. So what did you end up getting into this week, Zach?
1: Yeah, So this week I uh, spent some time working on my battle box and planning some updates for Ixalan. For those of you that don't know uh, what my battle box is, it is a a box with 30 different magic decks in it that are all uh, reasonably balanced and roughly standard power level. There is an article coming out about that this week on mtgconflux.com. I was also keeping my eye on the financial world of Magic the Gathering and, and looking for anything that looks interesting right now at rotation. How about you, Steven?
0: So this week I only ended up playing in my FNM, which I played Affinity, mostly because I was tired of playing new decks um, and I kind of just want to play something I like playing and having fun with. Um, ended up going 3-1. Played against some tier one decks but the interesting deck that i ran into um was a mono blue eldrazi tron which kind of had a shell that looked a lot like the Mono Bluetron that we've seen in the past, but was also playing cards like Mattery Shaper and Thought Nuts here and Reality Smashers. It was a pretty interesting deck. Uh, I got repealed a lot. There was, I didn't see any of the, like, the Mono Bluetron combo, but I assumed that was slotted out for more aggressive cards. Um, besides that, it was a pretty quiet weekend for me. What about you, John?
2: So I didn't actually get a chance to uh, play any Magic this past week since I was on a vacation to denver where i did a lot of drinking of beer and hiking but i did uh, spend some time paying attention to spoilers from exelon and kind of theory crafting what i want to add to my popper cube the cube has a little bit of a lack of beefy green top end despite a lot of really good Ramp options, so I was really excited to see that they are printing stuff like uh, Colossal Dreadmaw, which is a six mana, six six with trample, and Ancient Brontodon, which is a eight mana, vanilla, nine nine, and uh, Spike tailed Ceratops, which is a five mana, four four that can block an additional creature each combat. So it's kind of cool, it'll give the um. The beefier green decks in my cube, a little bit more of a top end, um, other than having to splash into other colors. I was also keeping an eye on the results of this weekend's Modern SCG Open as they came in over Twitter. Uh, It was really interesting to see the tournament as it shaped up, uh, especially since SCG posted the Day 2 metagame pretty early in the day and then I got to kind of keep tabs on things as the competition made its way into the elimination rounds which leads us into our topic of the week which is the day two meta of the SCG Open as well as the top table results of the accompanying modern classic. So what did you two think about the uh, results of these two events?
1: One thing I noticed about the day two metagame breakdown for the Star City Games Open was that there were 46 decks that made day two. 46 different decks. So that's about as diverse as the format can get. I mean, I guess we could ask for a solid 50, but 46, you know, there are quite a few with one representation, um, a bunch with two. And then, you know, once you get to the top, uh, Eldrazi Tron was uh, there were 17, 13 Affinity, 11 Grixis Death Shadow. Eleven elves, which I thought was surprising to be the uh, fourth most represented deck. Uh, it's obviously good. it's been you know it's been putting up some results, but I just didn't think it would be in those numbers uh, and then burn with eight Gifts, storm seven just guy control with seven.
0: you know it almost seems like just a couple weeks ago scapeshift was the boogeyman of the format and it actually had a very surprising small turnout on day two. Um, something like three or four decks,
1: right? Five Scapeshift Shift decks made day two. Uh, so it seems like people were pretty ready for it. And if you look, there's a Jun deck in the top eight. That Jun deck was playing four Fulminator Mage. Uh, so that right there shows you know people were planning on playing Scapeshift Shift against Scapeshift Shift. And it seems that it was hated out.
0: Yeah, I was also really interested in the one of um, eight rack deck that ma- ended up making a top four piloted by Tom Ross I think of that course. deck is the boss I think that's I think that deck is always just awkwardly positioned in um, in the meta and I feel like it takes some pretty pretty good skill to get eight rack to top four uh,
1: so this actually isn't even the first time that Tom Ross has top aided an open with eight rack. Uh, he's done it at least one time before, um, and you know he just—he definitely has a very good idea of where the metagame is and how to predict it. I mean, he's been doing this for years, all the way back to extended, um, and so you know he just, for whatever reason, thinks, "Oh, you know what? Eight rack is the deck to play this week," and he knows how to play it. He's a, obviously a very good player, uh, and it works for him. I—I I would never ever dream of taking that to a tournament, uh, but that's the thing about modern if. If you know what you're doing with your deck and you know the matchups, there's 46 decks you can win with, if if not more. And I think that was really showcased by the top eight of the modern classic.
0: Looking at the decks in the classic, it seems like a lot of the fringe decks that don't normally see the light of day ended up doing really well, probably partly because the decks in the classic were... Probably more prepared for decks that did better on day two of the open, rather than being prepared for the fringe decks that were going to come out in the classic.
1: Yeah, I think what happens sometimes in the in the opens is a deck may be not metagamed correctly, or you know, I mean, sometimes you just run poorly, whatever. And so then these classics, uh, especially when they're the same format as the main event, can be you know, it's a it's a rebuy, um, and so. I think even more in the classics, what you see is the players who know their deck and know the matchups, they tend to do a lot better in these, uh, in the classics than, you know, the other players who don't know their decks as well, uh, which obviously makes sense. Uh, But I think that's why we then see, you know, these classics tend to have more decks that are kind of out there. Um, and it seems they usually seem to have more di- diverse top eights and top sixteens than the opens, um, and I think that's because the metagaming is not as big of a factor, because uh, the people who metagamed really well, for the most part, they you know it's easier for them to make a day two. If you pick the perfect deck for the weekend, you know if you're Tom Ross and you pick eight rag, well there you go. But even given that diversity that we see in the classic, uh, there seems to be some parallels between both the Modern Open and the Modern Classic. In both of those tournaments, we had blue-white decks finishing first and second. Uh, three of those decks were just sky. One was just straight blue-white. Um, all four of those decks were playing Logic Knot uh, in some amount. Three of them play Geiss of St. Traft. One of them brings it out of the board. Uh, and I think three of them have Dispel. So there's some very similar trends between the decks, and for whatever reason, that blue-white, with or without red strategy seemed to be very well positioned for this weekend. So what do you think it was about the meta that these blue-white, mostly Jeskai decks were able to capitalize on?
2: So I think the, um, the big benefit that these Jeskai decks have um, in the format right now especially over something like the blue-white control decks that we're seeing a lot more player that they can play a controlling game but they have the ability to turn the corner and in the game quickly with their uh, suite of burn that they come prepared with um, these decks are playing some number of lightning helix to go with their normal play set of lightning bolts and um, incidental burn like uh, electrolyze and some number of them are also coming uh, packing uh, main deck Geist of Saint Traft, which is a very difficult to deal with and very fast clock against some of these more combo oriented decks like Scapeshift and Storm. Um, the ability to uh, threaten opponents' life totals is also very good against Death Shadow, which is, as we've talked about in the past, obviously sitting at quite a low life total and is vulnerable to decks that come packing lightning bolts and lightning helixes. I also think that countermagic and cards like Spell Queller right now are quite good against what decks like Scape Shift are trying to do, uh, as well as Eldrazi Tron. Um, spell Queller, being able to eat up to a 4 mana cost spell is very effective. Um, when your opponent tries to thought not seer you and you get to spell call their thought not seer, that is a huge swing in tempo that can be difficult to come back from.
1: Yeah. I think it has a very uh, nice diversity of answers. Um, spell queller has been one of those cards that I think has been at least in modern under the radar, but um, and then, yeah, especially, you know, Geist of St. Traft is very well positioned right now. Um, in playing some Esper Shadow, uh, Esper Death Shadow, I, I've experimented a little bit with Geist of Saint Traft in the sideboard. And uh, for any sort of fair mirror, you know, uh, especially against mid-range decks, it's a house. You know, it's it's six damage a turn, and if you think about it, uh, your your Death Shadow clock, is it going to be a two-turn clock? Maybe if it's like a, you know, I guess if it's an 8-8 or a 9-9 or bigger, maybe it's a two-turn clock. Um, But frequently, you know, it's a 7-7 or a 6-6, and you're attacking three times uh, to kill them with your death shadow. Well, Geist of St. Traft also does that. Uh, Obviously, it's not as big. Tarmogoyf can get in the way or whatever, even Snapcaster. Um, But it does have hex proof. So if you're able to clear the way for it with lightning bolts and paths, you know, whatever... Uh, electrolyze, you're, you're going to do a lot of damage and quickly. Uh, a deck, a, you know, Jund or any Death Shadow deck is going to have a really, really hard time getting that off the board.
2: That's something that's nice about these uh, Jeskai decks, is
1: they can actually play
2: a variety of roles quite well. Um, in the matchups where they can land a Geist and write it to victory, kind of playing a. Uh, typical uh, aggro control game plan they're very good at doing that they they use their you know burn spells uh, and their removal to clear the way for the geist keep getting in damage and then throw the last two at the face to you know finish the opponent off they can also play as more like a uh, counter burn deck where they just focus on you know repeatedly bolting and snap bolting their opponent's face while countering anything they're trying to do and they can also operate more as like just a uh, you know typical uh, hard control deck, uh, Drago control deck, where they focus on just playing land every turn and answering whatever their opponent puts to the board. And so the deck is uh, fairly flexible in its role alignment, which is really. A good place to be in a format like modern where you can play against a lot of different types of decks in a tournament you can play against combo you can play against other control decks you can play against um mid-range and aggro decks as well and uh, just kai tempo is just quite flexible in how it wants to uh pursue its uh its game plan in any given matchup
1: yeah, it has the ability to shift, uh, you know, from just all-out control. I mean, especially post-port, if you take out the Geists, then you're basically Snapcaster, Spell Queller, and then Removals and Counterspells. Uh, or in a matchup, you know, where, where you need to pressure them, well, Geist does that very well, and Snapcaster Bolt doesn't hurt. Uh, so it, it's very flexible. Um, and I think maybe one of the reasons... Um, that it did do so well is that flexibility when you look at the meta you know 46 different decks on day two um there aren't so many decks that can really shift gears like that Uh, and so no matter you know no matter what it plays against it definitely seems like it has some game Um, although the exception to that might be eldrazi tron john i think you were telling me that the winner of the modern open who played just guy control Harlan fire uh, in an interview after the tournament said that Eldrazi Tron is pretty much just a train wreck matchup, you know, unwinnable. Um, And for that reason, that's why he's not playing any ceremonies rejection. Um, And if that's true, um, then it's kind of like, well, how did he win the tournament given that Eldrazi Tron was the most played deck? But there were 46 different de- different decks, you know, 17 decks, uh, which is how many Eldrazi Trons there were. That's not really that large of a meta share. It's, you know, a little over 10%. Uh, so you have a reasonable chance of dodging that. And obviously he was able to dodge it in the top eight. But other than that, you know, I'm looking at the top decks. Uh, Affinity, I'm sure, is just maybe your favorite matchup as the Jess Guy player. What do you think, Steven?
0: uh yeah i just i was very happy to see Guy gone from the format for the past like year and a half yeah and now i'm, I'm pretty upset to see it coming back
1: and uh grixis death shadow I, that's where geist i think shines i think it, it's probably a pretty close matchup but i think geist is definitely a haymaker and you have lots of answers um and you know spell queller is going to be great there because they they have ways to kill it but they might not want those in post boards so it's a little. You know, hard for them to decide what they want to do there, um, and you can bring in dispels to fight their stubborn denials. Um, and then also, I think logic knot might be really good against death shadow because they tend to operate on a small amount of lands. Um, and then obviously, elves is probably in the same. Elves might be an even better matchup for Just Guy because they don't have you know random permanents like cranial plating, and uh, they don't have man lands. Um, and then When you're a blue deck, I think Burn can be pretty good, and uh, Storm is definitely one of the ones that Jess guy likes to see, uh, with all their counter spells, especially Spell Snare is really great there. And I would imagine that Scape Shift, which seemed like it was positioning itself as the boogeyman, uh, because they don't have, you know, they have a lot of cards that kind of are do the same thing, and then they have a couple of their real haymakers, uh, you know, Primeval Titan, Scape Shift. Uh, and so if you counter those few cards and you can clock them sometimes that's enough so it, it seems like they have you know it's it's well positioned especially in an open meta game with these specific top decks
2: yeah it's like how you we were talking last week about how titan shift is really good against the discard decks because you can't thought seize the top of their deck
1: but you can counter them
2: yeah blue control decks don't suffer from this problem they can react to the top of the deck um and so that puts them in a much better place against these type of decks um I think traditionally blue-based control decks have still suffered against the inevitability of these uh, scapeshift decks just because eventually, uh, like we were talking about, the whole deck converts into lightning bolts and you just run out of answers. But when you are playing a much more aggressive game like these new Just Guy Tempo decks are, you gain back a lot of percentage points in these ramp matchups because you're actually able to kill them before their late game becomes relevant
0: looking at the top two decks I'm, I'm actually pretty curious as to why neither of them decided to run any secure the waste or sphinx's revelations it's uh it seems like two really good cards that tempo decks would like to run although i can see why they'd be better in a more control shell um which is I feel like some matchups you might just want to switch to control, so I'm, I'm, I'm wondering why those didn't make it into the sideboard slots.
2: Uh, I think the the reason why they're not playing some of these more um, traditional control cards is by putting Geist of St. Draft into their main deck together with cards like Lightning Helix. Um, they're much more all-in on the shorter time frame games where... They're looking to turn the corner much earlier than a typical control deck would. So in your deck that's playing Secure the Wastes or Sphinx's Revelation, you're looking at turning the corner and starting to kill your opponent when you're in the you know 6-plus mana range. Um, you're not actually getting a lot of, of game-ending value out of either of these cards until you're at a really high amount of lands whereas these decks can slam down a geist on turn three and start immediately putting pressure on their opponent and when you add cards like secure the wastes and sphinx's revelation to the 75 you are compromising that game plan by taking slots away from your more effective game quick game ending cards So I think that's why they've forgotten those cards specifically and why they're playing more direct damage in their lists.
1: Both Jeskai decks from the open did not play those big X spells as their top end, Um, and they both played 24 lands. They both had Geist main deck. Uh, If we flip over to the classic, uh, where the blue-white control deck won and then the Jeskai deck came in second, both of those decks actually do have sphinx's revelations in their uh, in their deck uh, the just guy deck does have secure the wastes that just guy deck does not have any geists in the deck while the blue white control deck has three geists in the sideboard uh, so they're both operating on a slightly different you know a slightly different axis they both have 25 lands instead of the 24 that we see in the geist red decks from the open um, and so then I was thinking alright well what is better you know we have these two decks and obviously uh, Ray Perez is not the biggest name in magic but he has been on the Pro Tour before um, and you know he's he's put up some solid finishes other places um, and so I checked his Twitter and two days after he won that tournament he says Quote, I decided to buy the rest of the pieces I was missing for Jeskai Tempo and Modern. Just want to live on the wild side for a few. So it seems like, you know, he just won this tournament and now he's he's going to switch over. Um, and so what I would imagine is that he liked having those guys in the sideboard and maybe was thinking, you know, probably should be playing the main. Um, and I think it is like John said, because you can finish those games quickly. Um if you play a turn three Geist and have you know some counters to back that up, you pretty much shut your opponent down. And then you know turn five or six, you bolt them to death. It's a it's a quick game that way.
2: Yeah, it's about the time that Secure the Wastes and Sphinx's Revelation are really coming online in a more typical control deck. So the game's already done by the point, in which you're kind of hitting your stride with a, a a more typical control deck. And you know, like we were talking about how this is such an open format, and we were talking about how the Jessica Tempo deck is is nice because it can it can change its role in a given matchup very fluidly. The more typical control decks are disadvantaged in this same situation for the same reasons. Um, they are less flexible in their role assignment. They're very, very frequently going to be the control and very rarely going to have the option of becoming the beatdown in a given matchup. And when you are potentially running into decks that are operating on a very different and unfair axis than you are decks like titan shift decks like dredge decks like ad nauseum um if you don't draw the right mix of answers you're never going to get to a phase of the game where you can turn the corner and kill them with something like a secure the wastes whereas Jeskai tempo always has the option of playing a geist on turn three and just countering one or two spells that the matter and getting there whereas the Larger combo or the larger control decks um, have to kind of tussle on the ring a little bit longer and they have to um, come up with more answers because their opponent is going to have a longer time to present additional threats that they have to deal with to stay in the game.
1: Yeah, I think the ability to clock your opponent is very important in modern right now um, and it really has been for a long time. Um, if you're proactive in modern, that's probably the best thing to be doing. Uh, especially if you can then back that up with disruption, because um, then your opponent has to adjust to what you're doing, try to stop you, and meanwhile all you have to do is keep playing your game plan and just disrupt them just enough to squeak through that damage. Uh, and this, you know, this isn't an all-in deck by any means, because uh, it has some, you know, pseudo card advantage and Snapcaster Mage and Spell Queller, um, and obviously Electrolyze and Cryptic Command can add to that a lot. Um, so I mean, personally, going forward, what do you guys think? You guys, uh, Do you think you'll be wanting to play this deck or, or something else, or what's on your mind?
0: Yeah, for me, these decks look like a lot of fun, and I would love to pilot one. The only question I guess I would bring up is, after the new Planeswalker rule comes into effect, do you play any number of Gideons? Um, which, I guess that's probably just me thinking about the hype and trying to make the deck something it isn't, but... Is that a possibility that could that could squeeze into the deck?
1: I definitely think that we will be seeing various blue, white, X decks taking advantage of the new rule, and I am definitely going to attempt to be the person that gets a, a three drop, a four drop, and a five drop Gideon into play at some point. Um, but as soon as you start adding like the four drop and the five drop, it becomes a much different deck. Um, 3-mana Gideon kind of can act like a Geist, you know, come down and put pressure on early. But the other ones, not so much. Uh, and they cost more, so you can't hold up your mana. Um, but, you know, as we have seen from this weekend, um, you don't have to be the, the quicker Geist version. You know, obviously the, the two other builds in the Classic did well enough to win and get second place in that. Um, and we there were some Gideons on that side um, in the blue-white control deck. So I am, I'm pretty confident we'll be seeing that um but yeah it is like you said it's kind of a different it's a different deck yeah i'm not
2: i'm not as sure that um gideon of the trials is exactly where you want to be in these more aggressive Jeskai tempo decks um the games where you want to be playing a gideon of the trials and the games where you want to be playing a Geist of saint draft are usually very different games while gideon is more flexible and able to play offense and defense it doesn't necessarily have the same effect on a game as, as a Geist of St. Traft can. Gideon is much more vulnerable to removal although he is a little bit more protected than um, an average creature. He does not have the hex proof that Geist of St. Traft does. And he also just isn't doing as much damage. It's also worth noting that Geist of St. Traft is swinging in with 4 damage in the air, so there is evasion attached that Gideon does not have.
1: Yeah, those are all good points. The Planeswalker rule will definitely have some effect on Modern, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out uh, between Gideon and Liliana. Um, But specifically for these Jeskai decks, and we didn't talk about this last week because Jeskai wasn't really on the radar, but Opt. Is that a card that you guys think we could see in Jeskai?
0: I think in this more aggressive shell, we can see some number of opt, but I think in the shells where you're trying to control the game more, I think we can still see this 4 of Serum Visions being just enough. It's, that's just my prediction, though.
1: I think, I think I'm think i pretty on board with that. Um, uh, looking at the first place just guy list, um, I think, personally, I would just try to fit 4 opt in. Um, I think... I would cut a cryptic command, an electrolyze a lightning helix, and a land. Not sure with which land yet, though. Uh, you might only need four shocks, so you could cut uh, a steam vents or a hallowed fountain. Um, and this is again, you know, having not, I haven't had the chance to test uh, opt yet. This is assuming that it's actually worth playing and that it's better than slide of hand, which is, you know, is kind of yet to be seen. Um, but I really think that the instant speed cantrip with Snapcaster will make it so we see Opt in some number, um, and I'm I'm just really hoping we end up with a few decks that like to play the f- uh, the f- eight cantrips. And uh, John, I know uh, you have more experience with eight cantrip decks on the Legacy side, and obviously these are um, nowhere near the cantrips available in Legacy. You know, Opt will never be brainstormed. but but what do you think? Is this Is this Jeskai deck a possible home for opt?
2: I mean, I think any deck that's playing four Snapcaster mages and wants to do stuff on their opponents instep is definitely interested in opt. I'm not sure exactly what you shave to put it into this Jeskai list because Serum Visions is still very important in the early game to set up your draws and make sure that you hit your land drops. It's just crucial for a deck like this to hit its land drops every turn for as long as possible because even though the deck is taking a more aggressive bent it needs to have the mana to operate this is a deck that's playing cards like cryptic command it really needs to ensure that it has the mana available to give it the options to compete with what its opponent is doing so i'm not sure how you get opt-in here cutting too many lands runs you into the same problem we were just talking about where you really need to make sure you hit your land drops. So I guess a good place to look for cuts is some of your less impactful cards. Maybe something like Electrolyze, which is, I think, mostly in the deck because it is a cantripping source of damage. Maybe once you're playing something like Opt, you don't necessarily need to play Electrolyze anymore, uh, and you can focus on uh, having velocity through cheap cantrips rather than velocity with incidental damage that
1: costs a little bit more in the case of electrolyze so if you do end up playing opt which art will you opt for original original how about you steven uh
0: probably original just because i don't like the new porter as much as i like old porters
1: well until you guys get your uh, invasion ops you can hopefully try and pick up some Exelon ops at the pre-release so are you guys going?
2: yeah I, uh, I actually ended up having the day free. I was hoping to PPTQ but unfortunately um, pre-releases um, uh, take priority over that so I'm gonna be attending a pre-release to fill my Saturday with some magic.
0: I'll also be trying to attend one have some some plans early Saturday but hopefully Sunday I'll be able to make it to
1: to at least one. I think that the closest I will get to uh, dinosaurs this weekend is if I go to the zoo and see a giraffe. <laughs> and that's much more likely for me, unfortunately. Uh, but I do have some advice for those of you that do make it out to the pre-release um, or open up some cards from Ixalan in the first week that it is available. That brings us to Grinder Finance which is a segment where we talk a little bit about finance. We're not here to pay your bills, but hopefully you can use this information to help make the game a little bit cheaper for you, help you be able to afford that deck to win your next PPTQ. So the funny thing about magic cards is that people always want them when they're brand new. So in the next week, those cards from Ixalan the demand is going to be about the highest that it's ever going to be for basically every card. Uh, And the supply is going to be the lowest at the pre-release. And you know, the second lowest will be the day it comes out three months later. Obviously that's going to be max supply. Uh, And so the sooner you get your cards and get rid of them, the more they're going to be worth for the most part prices are always going to drop. Um, if you look at a card like Vraska, it's $20. Um, that card is gonna need to see play as a four of for a long time in standard uh, for it to hold that price, or it's gonna have to just be all over the place. Personally, I don't think that is gonna happen. Um, and, and there's other cards that are gonna you know take similar dives. So here's what you do. When you open that card, whether it's Gashath, Sun's Avatar, or you know the the Warrior Poet, whose first name I can't say, but that red, white Planeswalker. Plainswalker, unless you think that that card is standard playable and is gonna be a four of, uh, unless you see think that it's gonna see play in an older format it's worth trading it away. Unless you are going to play it yourself and know when you're gonna play it, it's probably better just to reacquire it later if you need it, because it's gonna go down in value. I'm looking at a Mardu vehicles list from the uh, SCG Louisville Classic, which got second place. And I'm looking at the rares. Toolcraft Exemplar is a 50 cent card. It's a rare. It's a four of in a standard deck that's been around, and it, it's $0.50. Bringer so he's playing multiple decks, it's a 1 of here and it's $5. It's really hard for a card to be a rare and standard, and be worth $10. In the same deck, Walking Ballista is about $12 right now, uh, it's a 2 of here, it's played in multiple decks, uh, and also multiple formats. Uh, so right now, uh, especially at the pre-release, but also the first week, the first chance you get to draft Ixalan, there's a lot of people at your game store that are not normally going to be there. The, the pre-release brings the casuals out, and I don't say that in a negative way. Um, the casuals really are the lifeblood of Magic. Um, and you know when I say casual, I just mean the people that are not always coming to FNM. They're not trying to win their FNM. They're just playing Magic for fun. Uh, so they look at cards differently than someone who's going to listen to this podcast they probably will never consider listening to this podcast and if you are listening to this podcast and you consider yourself casual well thank you for being here but the casuals are out at the pre-releases and they value different cards and they value them differently uh, as far as you know how much they care about owning it they probably do not care about the dark confidant that's in the binder that they got from a modern masters draft but they really want your Vraska or they really want that new commander or that card for their commander deck. So make sure you don't rip them off. I always trade at equal value, whether it's TCG or Star City, and I let my trade partner pick whichever one. I don't really care.
2: Uh, yeah, so while you were going over the finance stack, I was uh, catching up on a stream that Gabriel Nassif uh, did today where he took uh, Harlan Friars uh scg open winning Jessica tempo list and started tweaking it on moto um, due to the way moto updates work opt is already legal to play in modern online uh, together with everything else from Ixalan. Uh since opt has been printed in the past you can play it unlike the other cards which don't actually exist as a uh, a accessible card yet so he started off it looks like just doing a clean swap of opt in for serum visions and by the time he was done with the stream he was playing three ops together with two serum visions and to make room for the fifth cantrip he cut a his third lightning helix so um clearly he likes opt he was adding opt to his other deck lists at the end of the video as well so He obviously thinks it is a suitable card to be playing in a deck of this type, but it looks like he still wants some Seren Visions in the list, and I have to imagine that's just due to how well it smooths out your early game and how well it lets you dig towards um, further answers in later parts of the game, unlike Opt, which is more of a a velocity card. Um, I am interested that he cut Lightning Helix instead of Electrolyze, Although, I guess it does make sense, Electrolyze is not card disadvantage, and it allows you some flexibility while doing damage, so I think it's really interesting. It's probably where I'm going to be starting with this list as I look towards the coming PPTQ uh, the weekend after this one.
1: Yeah, that is that is really interesting. Uh, I'm surprised that he's playing more Opt than Siren Visions. I thought that would never happen. Uh, but, you know, who knows? Uh, he's he's obviously more qualified to uh, talk about that than I am. Still an early draft, too. De- definitely, definitely. But uh, I guess either way, people are going to be fitting Opt into their 75 in the coming weeks. What are you guys going to be fitting into your 75? Slot of the
0: Week is where we talk about what card we are totally hyped for uh, to put in our seventy-five in this upcoming week and for me it is shrapnel blast uh this card it was an affinity staple back in the day and it was a lot of fun to play just throwing five damage at someone's face felt really great um so i'm going to be playing a mono red version of affinity and i will let you guys know how that goes next week uh what about you john
2: uh so my style of the week is gifted aetherborn I think it is a really interesting new option for modern decks looking to sideboard against aggressive decks. Um, A lot of times, um, black decks and modern are lacking for options that are really powerful against aggressive decks that are also good on the offense. Obviously, a card like Collective Brutality is excellent against a deck like Burn, but Gifted Aetherborn is an option that can also be a repeated source of damage while gaining you life and being able to block and win in a fight with something like a goblin guide Um, it's been seeing play in the sideboards of blue black fairy deck since it was printed and it's filtering down into other lists now i'm seeing it pop up in people's sideboards here and there and a lot of people i've talked to seem to think it's a really good option moving forward
1: yeah, I was really thinking that you were gonna say this card for standard, um, but yeah, those are some good points. It uh, it definitely is good against a deck like burn. You know, it's it can gain you way more than the the two life that collected brutality can. It can block a goblin guide. Um, I also can see this card staring down a tarmogoyf uh, or a death shadow or you know even an eldrazi um so it has you know that death touch is very good i've always thought that vampire nighthawk was a good card but three is kind of a lot um but you know for one less mana you get a vampire walkhawk and i think that's pretty good yeah the more i look at this card it just seems like uh, a logical inclusion into a
2: lot of sideboards
1: speaking of logic i'm gonna be fitting logic knot into my 75 this week um probably because i'm gonna be testing out this uh guy tempo deck which i Will be referring to as Geist Red, just because I think it sounds cool, and that's what I used to refer to the deck as uh, back in the day. Uh, but Logic Not just is very flexible. Um, you know, it can be just basically counter spell uh, early game. It functions like a mana leak, but I think late game it tends to get better because you just grow your graveyard, um, and also you know when you're at seven mana, it's it's the point in the game where you're going to have extra mana. So if you're spending four mana on a hard counter, uh, and then you know throwing some graveyard or delving as well, um, that's fine. Uh, when decks like Scapeshift are popular, uh, you you really need to prevent Scapeshift from resolving. Uh, you need to make sure their Primeval Titan doesn't get any lands, um, and then you know there isn't really a very clean answer to Reality Smasher. Uh, or Thought Not Seer, once those hit the board, they kind of just get their value. Uh, this is at least an answer to that, even though that matchup might not be that good. Um, and as I said earlier, against the Grixis decks, uh, the Death Shadow decks, they operate on a low land count. And so sometimes all you need is like a Days, you know, a hard cast Days, and that's going to be good enough. Uh, and especially, you know, most decks, you know, if you cast this turn two, you'll only need X to be one. Uh, So given that opt is going to be in the format uh, and hopefully and presumably upping the number of cantrips being played in in blue decks, it'll be that much easier to, you know, get X to be one or two or three, uh, depending on fetch lands on turn two, uh, which is, you know, just as good as mana leak, but it doesn't have that late game downside that has always plagued mana leak. That about wraps it up for this week. I will see you guys in Ixalan. Steven take us home.
0: Thank you for checking us out and sticking out to the very end. If you're wondering where you can check out more MTG Complex content, you can go to mtgcomplex.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter under the same name, MTG Complex, one word. And if you have any suggestions or comments that you'd like us to read, please feel free to email us at themtgcomplex at gmail.com. And again, we really do appreciate you sticking around to the very end. And we'll hope you join us in the next one. Later.